The Perimeter with Adam Morrison is brought to you by our official title sponsor, Mercedes-Benz of Spokane. Experience the best or nothing at Mercedes-Benz of Spokane with Dan Crowley and his exceptional team. They're located in beautiful Liberty Lake and is a local family-owned dealership under Gee Automotive. Their staff prides itself on a personal and memorable experience from service to sales and will have you leaving the dealership feeling satisfied with a smile on your face all the way down the road. Back-to-back winners of the Best of the Best Silver Laurel Award receive invoice pricing on any new Mercedes-Benz in stock when you come in and mention the Perimeter Podcast. You can check out all their available inventory at SpokaneMercedes.com as well as stay up to date on all things Mercedes-Benz via their Facebook and Instagram pages. Call them at 509-455-9100 to schedule your Mercedes test drive today. Welcome to the Perimeter Podcast. I'm Adam Morrison. Shooter. (laughs) I'm with Scott Keeney. A.K.A. DJ Ski, Mixtape God, <laughs> Minnesota Vikings in-house game DJ, founder of Dash Radio, Ski Sports. What else you got? I know you got Timberwolves more. fan. Timberwolves fan. <laughs> the lone one. Appreciate you having me on, man. Of course, Gonzaga fan. You guys are stealing all our Minnesota kids. I love we it. We just got Chet Holmgren today. Yes. Shout Huge. to Chet. Shout to Jalen, my guy. You guys, what a run. It was a good run. It was obviously we came up short. It's a little bit depressing. <laughs> Sorry, you have to pick up. a scab. Sorry. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, we got all the Minnesota kids, and uh, I love it. How'd you How'd you get involved with Jalen, real quick, just for the Gonzaga fans? Yeah, so my boy out in Minnesota, um, Ryan, connected me. Uh, he'd been telling me about him for years since he was in junior high. So mm-hmm. I've been paying attention and watching him. As you know, it, we don't have a ton of like we have great athletes, but not, not, like very few on that level. And and just watching him was, you know was incredible to happen over the years and then he actually was uh at a vikings game he introduced us and we became cool and i brought him on field had him in the dj booth uh not last season the season before right before mm-hmm. uh i remember him telling me he was going to choose gonzaga too uh That's before right. he officially announced it. i think he down to had it down to his final couple ones where he's like yeah i'm gonna go to uh gonzaga and i was like oh i got the homie over there i had him i got roni i've got so uh i'm really glad to see it i mean what a great organization and what a great school to to go go with so watching him grow and then like seeing that season this year and that shot this year like so happy for him yeah no it was obviously unbelievable and like for a a kid of that caliber to choose gonzaga it's kind of our first one true one and done we had zach collins before that Mm -hmm. but for him to do that kind of elevated and to get chet that obviously helped the recruiting process for to get checked because he played with they played together. I think they won four straight uh, yeah. state championships in Minnesota. Yeah, they um, balled out. They and it's balled so, out. Yeah. It's so good too. He's got such a he's got his head on so right because Gonzaga's not and you know there's it doesn't have the recruiting advantage that mm-hmm. USC does in Southern California or yeah. the glamour that like a Kentucky or some of those other ones. Obviously, an incredible program. So, but he really believed in the opportunity that they were giving him, and he thought he would learn the most and yes. perform the best there. So it shows a lot to like turn down the the palm mm-hmm. trees and the sunshine and go somewhere that, you know, isn't traditionally, especially for like, like you said, a one and done. Gonzag is known for like manufacturing things. So it was it diamonds was in the rough. Yeah. I think his um, decision-making, cause I talked to Tommy loaded, uh, Tommy Lloyd, excuse me, just took the uh, Arizona job. And mm-hmm. he said, the biggest thing that Jalen's dad said to me is he wants to play with other good players and have a culture. And you don't hear that from yeah, top five him, picks. You know 100%. what I'm saying? His family's so great. Shout out to his whole family. Like they've got their head on right, and they've they've, they've done yes. it the right way. You can, tell, you can tell he's a fine young man. He gave up a lot, uh, you know, like body wise for the program. Like 
you get to that level, like you're thinking for the next opportunity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of, a lot of one and done guys are not uh, diving on the floor, taking chargers. So like <laughs> yeah. Jalen, Jalen was that guy, but uh, yeah, it was just an interesting uh, connection you have with right? Jalen and Chet and Gonzaga comes Gonzaga. up so many ways I, I know, in LA, like, Minnesota, like it's all these weird, we're all world. connected here. Right. So, all right. Well, again, appreciate you joining. Of course, man. You're a man of many hats. So I kind of want to just go through um, your whole, you know, career, how you got started, you know, life growing up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, yeah. like, first off, like, how did you get into like DJing? Like what, sure. what got you into that? So growing up, I thought, I thought I was going to be a pro athlete. Baseball was my sport. I was pretty mm -hmm. good at basketball. Um, but I was like, I'm gonna be a pro athlete. And, you know, I then once I got into DJing and got my first, it was actually a record player. I wasn't even calling it a turntable would be a disservice to turntables. Uh, I got a record player and bought like a turntable to kind of match up. I stole actually my dad's record player. And once I started using that, I was like, oh, this is what I'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. do. I just kind of like, I'd always loved music, but it instantly clicked and not from like a cocky perspective. Like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I was like, no, this You're is what I'm going to do. Good at it though, right? Yeah, I was like, this is what I, I like. I love this. This is going to be my path. And I just kind of put that in my, my head and didn't doubt myself ever from that. And from, from there, like started off DJing locally at my high school, doing mixtapes mm -hmm. and selling them at the shops and in the streets, ended up on the radio station out there in Minneapolis. And um, with a shift at like, you know, it was like a 4 a.m. shift on Saturday nights with like three listeners. But still to me, it was the funnest, yeah. you know, still probably some of my funnest experiences on air. And from that, I was able to network and get connected to the CEO of Loud Records, which is Steve Rifkin. Loud, of course, at the time was maybe the most iconic hip-hop label. Wu-Tang mm -hmm. Clan, Mob Deep, Exhibit, Big Pun. Wow. Like all of the great, like underground, mainstream hip-hop guys, if mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, and Steve is a legend in his own regard for what he's done and kind of pioneered on the marketing side. He, he invented street teams and did all this corporate work for all these brands. So I connected with Steve. This is around the time Napster was out. So the whole music industry was under fire by that. I love Napster, by yeah, the way. That's great, right? We awesome. all did. So I'm this kid that's like living this life and very savvy on the internet and techn with technology. Steve's this old, not old, he was still, you know, I don't want to say old, that's not, it's not he's in late 30s, <laughs> 40s, like, you know, and running the biggest hip hop label in the world. But he didn't know how to work email at the time, right? And his business is being revolutionized. It's <laughs> funny to say. Yeah, I taught him how to do email. I remember that. So shout to wherever Steve's first. I think it was an AOL one we set him up with. But uh, awesome. he didn't even know how to use his Sony or Universal ones at the time. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, he brought me on. And, and to his credit, I was like, I was always like, wait, why would he? I, anyway, sorry, I, I was entrepreneurial. So I was selling. I never worked a real job. And in high school, all my friends would work at Best Buy or Target. Mm -hmm. So I'd slide him 20 bucks to tell me when the new shipments of PlayStation's PS2s or Xboxes were coming in. Oh, that's amazing. Go buy them and sell them for double the money on eBay. So that was my <laughs> my hustle. And it's awesome. I was working. I got connected with Stretch Armstrong, a legendary DJ. Happened to be meeting with Steve. Steve needed a PS2 for his son for Christmas. Stretch is like, this kid in Minneapolis. It's like kind of interning and helping me out that I know that he'll have it. Like, talk to him. And stayed in touch with Steve. Uh, built a rapport with him. A few months later, sent him whole outline on what I thought he was doing wrong with his label. Um, at the goal, at the time, my, my dream would have been to launch a street team in Minneapolis so I could mm -hmm. get a free Wu-Tang Clan shirt or a free exhibit shirt. And I would have been the happiest kid in the world. That was like literally my dream when I sent this. I'm like, damn, maybe I can get some free gear or something. There you and go. He loved it so much. He offered me a job and 
figured a way to graduate high school early and ended up working for him. But it was because of, I was on the cutting cutting edge of like understanding technology and music. And there was a need for him for that because this whole, like the the business was, was changing drastically. And he always had the foresight to see the future. So he brought me in as he kind of needed somebody that was of that next generation. The same way that we're seeing kids now with TikTok and Roblox and all these other platforms. Um, he brought me out and, and, and the rest, luckily, <laughs> it worked out for me. Yeah, so you've, that's amazing, by the way, that you were hustling PlayStations and stuff. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, was it only 20 bucks for a cut, or did you guys yeah, percentage? Off, no, I'd slide <laughs> off just, my guys, like, 20 bucks, tell me when the shipments come in, and then I'd sell them, you know, I'd make 100, 200 bucks on each one or whatever. It's awesome, so, man. No, it's, it there's a, obviously a market, especially when eBay was so new back yeah, then. Man. Like, So I've had my eBay account for so long, and it been onto that. And after that, I was reselling shoes. So it's like another, like, all these things that I've just fallen in love with. That's how I'd pay for my shoes. I'd buy three pairs, sell two, keep one. That's crazy. <laughs> so you moved to LA at 17. Like yeah, I got the job. I was actually in high school and I remember he offered me the job. He flew, he actually, Steve flew me out to New York one day, actually to tell you the long story, since we're here and we got some time. And yeah. it's you. First time he flew me out, I was supposed to meet with him. Um, I ditched high school for the day, flew out in the morning from Minneapolis to New York. Um, then he ends up canceling once I'm there. He's like, I got meetings. And for me, I'm like a kid. Like, I don't understand that. Like, yeah. that's my whole life. So I'm like heartbroken and like, damn, is this done? But I didn't like, I let it get me down, but I didn't get it to me. He's like, sorry, blah, blah, blah. Let's do it again. Two weeks again. Two, he's like, come back in two weeks. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, so I do it. And like, I was kind of discouraged at the time, but I was like, all right, let's go through this. Like he's the CEO of a label. Who am I? Like, I, I get it. Like there's different levels and something happening is much more important over there than, than you know, yeah. probably meeting with me. Uh, and, but then he, he moved out. He's like, yeah, I want you to come work for me. And I, I didn't really know what he wanted. I was like, oh, wow. Like, all right, let's do this. So I was, you know, luckily I was already a little ahead in high school and figured a way. And this is like when online schooling first started. So I kind of hacked my way. I figured they had just approved it from like the school board. That's how new it was. So I was able to take like some online classes and stuff and figure a way to graduate early. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, had never been to, I was originally going to move to New York. 9-11 happened. So Steve was bi-coastal. Um, and he's like, come move to LA because that's where his family was based. And he wanted to spend more time here. And drove a U-Haul across the country. What did your parents say? Think about that. Like, you, you was know, it a tough battle, or were they like, "Go get him, kid"? And luckily, my parents have always really encouraged me, which I think is important, awesome. right? Like, yeah. and the, you know, I think it's so important to have people that encourage you and and to realize too, like. They probably thought it wasn't likely to to work out long term, right? Be like he'll be yeah. back. Yeah, that makes sense. And and like go go get those experiences because those things are there. But like conversely, if I waited, it's you know, it's like great analogy i'm talking to you right like if i waited four years and did that would that have opportunity presented itself no i might not have been the you know Absolutely i look at myself true. as almost like i got drafted yeah out of high school and had this great had opportunity so who knows could it have been there maybe would it have like but the likelihood was like you got to jump on opportunities that's that's one of the key things that i've learned in life is not just you know setting yourself up to have them but recognizing and, and jumping in the door and not being scared if you stay ready you don't have to get ready sugar exactly. free right exactly oh you got the quotes oh <laughs> You already know he's one of my all-time favorites. So if there's ever a Adam chance, OG. if there's ever a chance I can get around sugar-free, like it's, <laughs> I think it'd be over for me. Sugar-free, like we're gonna talk. Let's can you make, make this can you make that happen for we, me we, one we time? Can make, we can make this happen. Tightest pea spitter on the West Coast. Wow, I love you. You know, Adam is so gangster. <laughs> you guys don't even know how G this guy is. Oh man, I love sugar-free. So anyway, all right. Like when you were in LA, like did you, you know, obviously you're working for. Uh, Rifkin, were you just DJing on the side, like at clubs or like? 
Yeah, so I'd always, like, DJing was my foundation, and, and but when I moved out here, it wasn't to be, he didn't hire me to be a DJ. You were marketing. Yeah, he hired yeah, okay. me, and he, well, he didn't even, like, it's so funny, so knowing Steve, if anybody knows Steve, he's kind of all over the place, but he understands talent for, for some reason. Everybody that comes through his circle, like, artists, there's been so many executives in this music business that made it, and I remember my first day, he just sat me down and was like, all right. You, you know what to do? And I was like, yeah. And I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of like made my own. Make it. Yeah. But, and you just like make it happen. So Steve didn't really have a new thing. He didn't really know what he wanted to do with me. He's like, I just want somebody that's young and that's in the mix. And this guy has decent ideas. So like, let, let's throw him out there and see what happens. So I kind of had to still like make it from, from there. So I was always DJing, but it was great because you know, the, the challenge with talent, right, is that you don't always understand the business side. Like, I'll talk to an artist and I'll be like, yeah, mm-hmm. just have me, I'll tweet it and I'll pay me a million dollars, I'll post it's something like, about no, it. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Right? ROI doesn't yeah. work that way. It's about building long-term relationships. So I was able to really dig in, and this is the age of 17, 18, like learn the industry, not only from the music side, but from the marketing side. Um, working with big brands, the the first client that I brought in was T-Mobile. And we the sidekick, sidekick. That's so awesome. And that that, was, that brings back so many memories for me because yeah. that was a college era time mm-hmm. for me. The Pac Man thing. Do you still have? If you still have a sidekick, oh we my got one. God. We got one on the wall over oh there. Oh my god, I'm I, I need to uh, Instagram it's, live that later, it's man. Up. Like, Hell yeah, dude. dude so. Oh, okay, good. Sorry, go ahead, man. No, that was so like working on that industry side. So I actually made a lot of the connections and relationships I had in the industry um, through marketing that, through working with brands like Adidas, Nike, um, doing all these things. I was always DJing, but my DJ career didn't blow up until a little later on. Mm-hmm. Um, even though DJing is kind of what got me out here, I was working on the industry side of things first. And that gave me, I think, such a great foundation that you see like it, it worked out perfectly because I was able to take that knowledge that I had and apply it to my brand and building a real business. And that's what inevitably led me to, you know, all the, the, the different things that I've done and to, to being here today. So when you first came out, were you like a, a considered an intern or was he paying you salary? Like how were you surviving as a 17 year old? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. were you grinding? Like so, obviously, but was he paying you or something? Yeah, he was, he paid me, but I mean, it was basically I paid like a, a, a an intern, intern, right? Like yeah. minimum wage and Just, stuff, but it was like the opportunity was too yeah, yeah, so, yeah, of course you're not, I'm worried about money, but I'm just no, saying. But about the no, but no, 100%. It's tough in LA, right? Yeah, like, exactly. so I, you know, was living with two other people and, you know, still selling shoes on the side and hustling um, from that. And it was funny. I met a lot of artists like Fat Joe and all these guys. I started selling them all their, their <laughs> shoes early on. So when you see like Fat Joe on cribs or, you know, showcasing his shoes, half those were coming from me because I was That's just so awesome. Order, but I was just doing things that like people weren't up on internet, the internet sites. And I was ordering like exclusive Air Force One colors from Europe that, you know, was nobody relatively knew about. Easy. Yeah. And just like I, I had, I just had that knowledge. So I was able to kind of import them. And, and that's how, you know, I was, I was kind of hustling on the, on the side by, by doing that. But yeah, it was tough. And, you know, in terms of title, Steve didn't really get, he was like, yeah, whatever. I think on my business card, we put like marketing executive, but it didn't really, yeah. he didn't really have titles. He was just like, do your thing. And that was great. You know, it was, gave you know, me the freedom. Yeah. There's certain people and that's the way I, I work better within, you know, when I, when I'm able to go out and find things and figure out how to make mm-hmm. it happen versus some people really need boundaries to stay in. I'm not one of those people. So for my type of person, personality and and kind of the way that I work it was the best scenario to be in so okay we're gonna get into like your mixtape stuff and yeah. kind of your music so 2005 you produced yeah. the 300 bars and running for the game wow, right man, so long ago I can't believe it's 2005 so damn that was you know like 14 minute long <laughs> beef song right yeah. with 50 cent like because I remember the stop since stop line that was college for yeah. me oh, wow so like 
I've always wanted to know, like, you produced the mixtape, and this was, like, a legitimate beef, right? It wasn't just a... Oh, con- yeah. Like, yeah. it was personal. Now, people died in that, like, legitimately. Okay, okay so... Did you ever feel like you were picking a side just because you produced the mixtape? Like, I've always wanted to know the people on the 100%. periphery. Obviously, you had a big role in it, but did, did you ever feel, like, frightened or just odd to be mixed into that stuff? Because it gets personal, and then it gets... 100%, man. I mean, and it was different because I'd known Game and 50 for for, for a while from all of that. Like, mm-hmm. I'd watch 50's growth. Um, we were doing stuff. We did a lot with him, and, like... You see, like, you'll see the sidekick in the 21 Questions video. That was oh, the first yeah. video. It starts off with the color sidekick. So that was me on set doing those things. Awesome. I'd yeah. known Game longer than I even knew 50. I knew Game before he was even signed to to G-Unit when he was just had the, the Dre deal. Mm-hmm. And I met him when I still worked for Steve way back in the day. So I'd known Game actually longer than 50, even though 50 came up um, earlier than that. And we'd always clicked and just became friends and and associates and i was always hooking game up early on because i believed in his talent as soon as i heard it i was like wow this kid's like one of the most lyricists yeah absolutely (laughs) ever so but we've done a lot of work with 50 um so and i was playing i I was cool with both sides when the beef first started right and i was still at this point i had left steve but i had my own marketing agency and i had a studio and at that point i was doing a little more djing i was doing like a little show on sirius i was doing like a couple like small events but i i hadn't made it right like i was doing we did a t-mobile sidekick mixtape so i'd put like game on it and did these things i was mm-hmm. starting to like get my name out there but it wasn't it wasn't known i hadn't hadn't made it as a dj it was my my side project my i still had a full-time job in essence and i remember when the whole beef happened uh meeting game afterwards and talking through it like right after there was a shooting in new york at a radio station and one of games guys got shot and i thought he'd show up with like 100 people and i think i was giving him a sidekick or something <laughs> he like yeah. met with me solo after and saw all those things but the turning point for me was when my studio was on melrose at the time and the er, office and studio i had like a one studio room in there and I met Game. He was at the, I think it was the Ed Hardy store, which was like, two, it was at the time, 2005, one of the cooler, cooler brands. Yeah, right? no, they, I had an Ed Hardy shirt. Probably still do. <laughs> I actually somewhere. didn't. I actually never really liked it. You could never, I don't think you, you could ever, I think, think you, like, and I'll tell, I admit if I did, I don't think I ever did. But he was there, he was picking up some clothes, <laughs> and this was during the whole beef, and I was like, oh, what's going on? And they'd been, they'd made peace. There was a peace treaty at this mm-hmm. time. Like, literally, like Al Sharpton had stepped in. They were like, yo, no breaking up the Beatles, Jimmy Ivey and said. So they were cool, but 50 was throwing all these shots at game. So game felt like he had to come back at him. And he's like, I'm going to come back at him and diss him. And I was like, wait, what? He was like, yeah, yeah. yeah so man. he played me. He gave me a disc that was the first, like, three or four minutes of 300 bars, but it was all over one beat. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go 300 bars. Cause he had the series. He'd done 100 bars, 200 bars. So he's like, I'm going to do 300 bars, which I'm like, Fucking 15 minutes long like yeah. that's a lot of yes. rapping and it was over one beat and it's the krs one the, the love's gonna get you the bdp beat which is great incredible track but it's like you yeah, can't listen it. to that shit for yeah. 15 minutes yeah <laughs> like yeah it's- it was too much so i had the idea i was just like hey i want to help you out as a friend like i went in my studio and like did a jacking for beats thing and produced some stuff together and i emailed it to him i was like yo check your email i remember i, I sent him a two-way and or a, a text on his on his sidekick and I just was like, hey, this is just some advice. Like, I think this will be cool mm-hmm. and, and do that. I didn't expect to do that. Then he called me next thing, like, after I sent it, like, five minutes later, he's like, yo, I'm on the way. I'm like, here we go. It's like, we're going to record this. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to record this, yes. this song. So anyways, get it together. He comes in the studio. And then I'm just like, we're like riffing. And it's like in real time. He's like, he lays some bars and then I mix a beat in. And one of my favorite things about 
that song is that when he mentions something, especially game like his rap style, he name drops a lot, right? Yeah. So every time he says an artist's name or says an allude to something, like I'll mix in the background of that. So there's so many like samples in that layer, and that's why you can't hear it on Spotify. There's no clearance of it. So yeah, I've always wanted to know, like with the mixtapes, like yeah, the, the, the so much sampling. Like how do you you, you can't you, you can't just put none of that, and that's why like and that's what's so sad. Like a lot of that era just doesn't exist because yeah, it's of, pretty of much it's yeah, still it's, under it was underground then, but now it's even more so. But we sat in the studio for two days straight and ended up making this record. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, wow, damn. Like, I just produced this. This is fun. Like, yeah. And at the time, I'm like, all right. I, I didn't have any expectations. But Game was like, no, I'm putting you on the mixtape. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't really expect that. And But I, I'd been there working. And then we recorded a couple other records that there was a whole, you know, you know what it is, volume three. Mm-hmm. And mixtape with a bunch of other records. And he threw my name on it. And I was like, I, I I realized it then too. It was one of those other moments, like oh shit, like my life is if I like if I do this, like my life is going to change. Change absolutely. So like I I got like I realized like and and for being a DJ, there's very few opportunities that you have to get on. And this is before DJs like were getting paid crazy in Vegas. Yeah, before like the Calvin like, Harris and all yeah, that stuff. Like, yeah, 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 that didn't exist. So Fiesto, blah blah blah. Yeah, like mixtapes were the only way, and it was really being associated with an artist. And so it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'd really worked on that, and like I'd known Game for a long time. I loved that record i personally didn't have any beef with 50 i understood games mm-hmm. points from that but at the same time too like 50 had who kid and who kid's my god no who who kid forever um and like i i never personally said anything or, or did any of that but of course like i was associated and, and yeah. took that side and i had to make that risk like look do i want to just stay back and tell him to take my name off of it and be scared and not do that and or do i, I get just, the credit that you deserve yeah <laughs> or yeah. like how do i embrace it and leverage this and like it is what it is at a certain point. And like, you really like, yeah, you know, the heat, like 50 is not going to be happy and all those things. And, you know, I said like, look, I'm going to do myself. I treat myself as a producer for mm-hmm. that the same way that other ones do. If people take it the wrong way, kind of it is what it is, but I'm not scared. And I'm not out here trying to claiming to be a gangbanger and like calling out for you. I'm not going to go shoot and do any of those things. If somebody comes after me, like, you're going to look weak if you're going after like the white boy in the crew, right? Like that's not a gangbanger. That's <laughs> skinny white boy clearly in the not that, right? And But, you know, at the same time too, I'm going to ride with with people that are loyal for me and, yeah, and stay true to myself. And that's how I've always been able to walk between worlds. So, you know, that night was was crazy. And I remember Game had to fly to New York. He was going to do some show. The world hadn't heard it. This is like, you couldn't just, you know, MySpace was around mm-hmm. and coming up, but it wasn't like instant. And I remember making a clean version, going to Power 106 in the morning, big boy show and premiering it. You know, that 15-minute-long diss record playing on radio it's against wild. the biggest artist in the time. Like, I mean, I so wish that, like, Twitter and all these social networks were oh, around it'd be, it'd be then. insane. Oh, Are you God. kidding me? Like, And especially how cl- wow. clever Game was with, like, the skits and all the things that yeah. he had. So we wrote out and took sides, and there were definitely people in, in their feelings, and definitely, you know, it, it didn't make me friends with everybody. But in, in, in retrospect, like, I stayed true to myself. I, I worked with music that, you know, I produced stuff that I thought was dope, but, mm-hmm. you know, I never was out there, like, claiming to gangbang and have those beefs. I'm just, you know, the producer and the guy guy in there. I'm not, like, you know, going to step down and back down and, and hide from that stuff, but at the end of the day, like, it, it's music, and it was an opportunity for, for me to, to get out there as a DJ and make a career out of something that I love, and I realized early on, too, that I didn't want to be just known as that mixtape person or his games DJ or something mm-hmm. and, and no disrespect to any anybody that's just a DJ for one artist or any artist but 
I had so, such a diverse musical taste. I, I was like, I had a whole plan at that point. I'm like, all right, I'm going to use this as my... Well, like, you're multi-talented, so you wanted to... the door. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, if this is the chance that I get to showcase, that I can showcase everything else on, like that opportunity might not ever come into my lifetime. And if I don't do this right now and don't accept it, and it, would, it was tough too. It was probably easier to, it would have been easier to walk away and be quiet, like, oh, don't yeah. put my name on it, do, do, do. But then I would have been like still on the industry side and not, I wouldn't have been able to build all the things that I've done and you have to take a risk. And, you know, looking back and at all the crazy times, I mean, at the time, I'm like 20 years old. And it like, was, that beef was so, real, man. It was crazy. Like, would I go through that now? Hell no. It's just <laughs> yeah, not yeah, worth it. Like, looking like, back, I'm like, oh God, what did I do? Why was it stupid? Like, walking in the studio at our office, there's guns laid out everywhere. Like, oh God. It was, there was serious, like, there was literally, like, I mean, you, can, you guys can look it up. It's all public record and see, like, mm -hmm. there's people that died as a part of that beef. And being in the mix, there were moments, like, I would drive, to, like, and luckily, <laughs> there's some real street guys in there that taught me and that looked out for me and that helped me out and showed me, like, how to move. Like, I remember driving That's home, crazy, driving man. the longer ways, driving in the middle lane. So if somebody was to come to you from the right, you'd always have to have enough room in front of a car so somebody couldn't sneak up with you. So wild, man. Yeah. So I, 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 I was not ignorant to, to, the, to the risks out there. I wouldn't do it again. But at the time, like, look, you're young and you're dumb and you do those things. It's crazy. I appreciate But it worked out. appreciate you sharing that, man. That's, yeah. that's wild, like, for real to even think about. Because that was my era of college. Yeah. So I remember, like, stop, snitch, stop, lying. And, like, these guys, like, hated each other. Bro, we went out there. Like, that stuff was real. Hated each other. Man, and we had, like, when we'd go to New York, we'd land and the police would follow us. There was a hip-hop cops unit and they'd literally, like, follow us because they didn't want anything to happen on that yeah. watch. So they'd try to shadow you to, to prevent anything from happening. But so many crazy stories and so many things. And, and it worked out. Like, you know, I think that beef is kind of like all things. The time is... The time heals all, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's issues on both sides. I don't know if they'll ever be be best friends. They don't but have to be, though. Yeah, they've, gotten, not, yeah. they've gotten through with me. You know, me and Hukid have worked on a ton of projects since then. That's that's my guy. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have any beef or any problem with anybody. I happen to, to be in it. And it's like, look, you've got to, you know, you're you're on a side. But that wasn't my beef. I was just helping, the, you know, amplify and tell that story. Okay, go for one le uh, West Coast legend to the other. Like, at around the same time, mm -hmm. you kind of discovered or, like, Kendrick Lamar, right? So Kendrick, I met the same, right the same time we did that 300 bars mixtape, that whole, you know what it is, volume three mixtape right around mm -hmm. then. So Top Dog was big in the streets, big street guy, TDE. And he had another artist that he was pushing called J-Rock, shout out to J-Rock, um, who signed, to, who had just signed to Warner Brothers. Um, and Game at the time was the West Coast. Like he was the, you know, of course there's like Dre, who's almost an untouchable. Yeah, untouchable, yeah. There's like Snoop and like, and, and when yeah. I say that, like exhibit like all these legends, but in terms of new West Coast, like yeah. it was Game and not really anybody else. Mm -hmm. So everybody was coming to him. And so of course Game had that street relationship with him. And J-Rock was an incredible artist. He was on Warner and, and they brought this other kid that they had, the second kid to come behind behind J-Rock was, uh, was this kid K-Dot. So I remember he brought into the free, I, I'll never forget, they still have a video, I'm sure of it somewhere. He's freestyling in the, in the hallway to the studio. And this kid just raps for 15 minutes long straight. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah. this kid is incredible. And they're like, what do you think of him? I'm like, well, he can rap great, but can mm -hmm. he ever make a record? Can he make a song? I'm like, if he can learn how to do that, he'll be all right. And he, he ended up being all right. But yeah, did his, you know, connected with those guys, did a bunch of mixtapes with J-Rock, did Kendrick's first mixtape when he was going by K-Dot. And uh, yeah, it worked, uh, you know, watching his, his his kind of movement was just incredible. Do you think Kendrick Lamar is like on the Tupac level now? Like as far yeah, as like, I think so. you know, like socially, you know, yeah. his music's always... 
you, know, you got a social aspect behind it, but then you can also make like party stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like hundred percent. You know, it's, I think it's, so too. And I grew up on analogy. like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Pac, is, Pac to me is like the, even if you don't look at him as the greatest, you know, rapper mm-hmm. having the best catalog, he's so many records, just that, like nobody had that charisma. Nobody had yeah. that. And like there's Pac and there's nobody that really compares. So I don't want to say that Kendrick is Pac, but he's his own version and he's much different. He's not, he's much quieter, more humble. He's made, uh, he said a lot of different things, but in that same vein, yes, in terms of impact, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think it's, you know, you get to, like I said, the social aspect of it and the message behind his music, both of theirs, yeah. there's actually a meaning behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Instead man. of just you know, some of the stuff you hear today, and I'm not a get off my lawn type of guy, yeah. but some of it just doesn't have no meaning behind it. And so I think Kendrick's this uh, similar. So You can't say that about Kendrick, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go one more rap reference. And this, go. how was your time with Nipsey, man? And I, oh, I'm man. not trying to. Nah, you're good. Full oh. scabs, man. You no, know what I'm saying? Man. But he was, he, his message was fantastic too. His message to me was stack your bread the right way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Improve yourself and your community. Don't waste your money on stupid shit. Not a lot of guys say that anymore. You know what I'm saying? So I knew you had a relationship with him, did a lot of work with him early yeah. in his career. If you if you don't mind, man, yeah, of talk course. about no, that a little I, bit. I appreciate it. R.I.P. To, to Nipsey. And he's he's been one of the biggest inspirations of my life, even since he he's passed away. I met Nip when he was raw, when I was doing all the game mixtapes. So at that point, I'd, I'd worked my way up to becoming like the mixtape, mm-hmm. West Coast mixtape DJ and and, and the guy, like, if you go to the South, you go to drama. If you go to the East Coast, you know, you go to Who Kid or Flex or Clue or one of those guys, Green Lantern. Come to the West Coast, it was me. So I was getting that inbound and almost that, that deal flow, right, from all the, yeah. in, in investor terms, in, in terms of uh-huh. all of this uh, <laughs> this great talent. And I remember his manager, Johnny Shipes, and Steve LaBelle hit me up, and uh, he was working with Big U, and they had me come to the studio. And I remember going pulling up to a studio, I think it was on La Brea, and there was like 30, 30, you know, crips in there, blah, blah, blah. So we'd smoke Nipsey and, and talking to Nipsey. And he was raw. I was like, damn, that's raw and rough. But there was something different about him. You could tell he was, that was the environment that he's from. So yeah. that's that's what he knew, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he grew up on. And all you know is the way that you, you everything about us is based on our environment. Yeah. How we grow, how we live, how we dress, right? And he hadn't seen anything else like that, but you could tell he wanted more than that. He didn't want to be just that. He was always so well thought out mm-hmm. and had his own ideas and plan and message always in place. So we ended up teaming up and doing the Bullets Ain't Got No Name mixtape series, um, which was his kind of first entry into to the mainstream, his first real mixtapes with you know, Hustle in the House. Even to this day, it's so random we were putting together something. And if you listen to Hustle in the House on Spotify, it'll have my drops all over it for, for a lot of them, which is weird. Um, but we connected then and always stayed close. He was on a lot of those game mixtapes and and just kind of being in that same circle of me being like this West Coast DJ, he being that like next guy. We were actually supposed to do a lot more. He was signed to Epic Records. And I remember, I'll never forget this day, We I, I had moved into a new studio in Robertson and in, in, in Beverlywood in LA. And was meeting with the label Epic and, and Nip, and we were going to do a whole project and help them out. We'd been doing all these music videos and things, and 
then Michael Jackson died. And mm. they were all like, oh, we've got to leave this meeting because Michael Jackson was signed to Epic. Sony, same record label. Yeah. And then it like, it derailed his project. Like the timing was just bad. He was about to come out and do this big campaign. So it screwed him. He ended up leaving the label. We'd always stayed close. And then his photographer, who I'd known for years, uh, Jorge, had hit me up and was like, hey, I think you guys should talk. There's there's a lot more that we should do. So we, we, we ended up meeting. I remember going down. He just opened up a brand new studio in downtown LA. Um, he was about to drop the TMC mixtape, the Marathon was just out, and I remember uh, sitting with him and him telling me what his vision was, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do, exactly what he was going to do to get there, told me all the research and stats, and was pulling out market data, and this was a guy that wasn't educated on how to properly, like, I, I guess the, the formal ways formal, of doing yeah, things, formal, right? I don't yeah. want to say proper, because he did it better than people with deep educations, but yeah. He had a whole plan and he had just figured this out himself. He didn't have mentors or people that had taught him this. He was self-educated on that. And he was so clear on his vision of what he wanted to do. We ended up teaming up. And for me, I was very clear at the time. I was like, look, I don't want to do artist management. Like that's, I don't want to chase people down. Like it's, it's a headache, right? Like I'm not like, that's not of any interest to me. And he's like, no, I have a team. I have the infrastructure in place. I want to partner with you. We can work it out from like, I want you to manage me, but I want you to, help me on this business side. Mm -hmm. I had written an article that he had really loved um, that was about Drake and it was in XXL. It appeared in XXL where I talked about like, damn, Drake could have been the first person to really do it. He didn't need a label. It was this whole thing and like being independent and betting in yourself and like, you know, Drake obviously is wildly successful. So, and it wasn't going against him, but I was just like, damn, this could have happened and Nip really respected and loved that. And it's like everything that you said in there is like what I want to do you have kind of the corporate connections. You understand how to build that on the business side. Mm-hmm. And we have the same independent mentality. I never really had like agents or anything. Like I've always pretty much done anything independently, even though I'm a DJ. I was never signed to a label, never a major management company. You know, it's just like, you handled your own shit. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like with CAA yeah. for a year or two. And then I was just like, it just didn't, didn't work. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean like, look, I'm not Brad Pitt. And for, like for for me, I was like, if I'm my good friends this, works for CAA that I'm gonna have on the show. That's so that's funny. <laughs> and it, no, like like look, we've done business, but I was like, it just didn't it didn't make sense on for for me. And I'm like, I'm, I move a little differently and can can handle my own things. So um, we had that same vision and alignment. Decided to team up, and in essence, we served as you know management, but kind of a pseudo label. We were shooting all his videos and controlling his visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, we were putting out his whole plans. We were working on things. And what I took away from Nip, I mean, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. We were there there like I don't want to take any credit for it we were there to just help him execute his vision right and make the right connections and what I'll never forget like what I'll take away from Nip forever is how it's it's really it really is a marathon in so many ways and of course his slogan is the marathon continues Mm -hmm. TMC and what that means to me is there were opportunities for him to get shortcuts there was a major artist that wanted to sign him and that i actually thought i was like just do the deal even if it's a two album deal it'll accelerate you and get you to where you were he never wanted to do that and he was always about doing it on his own doing it his own way Mm -hmm. surrounding himself with others that could help amplify his message but also empowering his own homies and his whole crew to grow and learn from that he didn't want to have like Somebody that he he grew up with, just hanger on, yeah, manage guys like that. But he wanted them to learn so they could go, so they can do their own shit, and so they could do that and learn from the best. So I mean, he was so strategic with how he thought that out. But he turned down like million dollar deals that would have got him a lot of success at the time not Mm -hmm. to do that. And it didn't really click to me even until after he passed how big he was. Right, like if you look statistically not in terms of sales, stream numbers, like not anywhere near a lot of other artists that are there. 
but the impact in his message and what happened in Los Angeles. Like, I think that was, I mean, he had arguably the same impact. I'm going to go as far as say is like what, like I wasn't in LA when Tupac passed away, but I mean, the guy had a 27 mile procession, Staples Center funeral. Like, wow. I didn't even know that. Like it was like Nip and Kobe were very much the same. Mm-hmm. Not, like as, as you know, like when that happened, it really felt the same. He was like the streets poet, the one that we all wanted to win, one that was from that. Everybody's rooting for him. Yeah. Yeah. That was about the right things and not about the shortcuts. He had so many opportunities in his career to take a shortcut and to, to be noticed, but he was about that marathon and that paid off. And that's why I think he's going to go down as one of the most impactful artists of all time even though his sales or like stats on paper wouldn't necessarily reflect that mm-hmm. he'll have the imp- he'll have far bigger impact than a lot of others and he he really his, like even through his passing has encouraged me like follow your own path don't worry about that stuff do you and it'll all work out in in the end and and that that legacy is something that can't be be bought anybody can get a hit record and stuff but you can't ha- you can't build a legacy like that and what he did was so so inspiring uh- appreciate that Scott you didn't have to share all that for real yeah, man because I didn't man. you know I wanted to bring that up because you you yeah. know worked with West Coast Legends but I know that no, you, know, you, guys, you guys were close together so I appreciate you sh- you know sharing that and uh, being real with it and, yeah, that's what, look that's what we're here for and that's anything anything for you but like uh, that's what's important that his legacy carries on and like I really learned and, and for me in my life I'm like all right let's not take the shortcuts mm-hmm. let's let's do this and like again there was deals I was encouraging him to take that he, he turned down and right like he, he did it his way, like, yeah. and, and it worked out. Well, his message was just so positive. Like I said earlier, it's like he was all about the community. It was about, like you said, doing it his way, but it wasn't the glitz and glamour bullshit. It was like, yeah. stack your shit, do it the right way, investments. Like, I saw one interview with him. He was like, guys, like, what's the first thing you buy? He's like, property. Yeah. And the guy looked at him funny, but it was like, you never hear rappers talk about yeah. that. But he's like, I'm going to want to buy property, something that's going to recoup you know, my investment keep making me money. And like <laughs> yeah. the dude almost fell out of the chair or standing yeah. up, but it was like, this guy has a legit message, you know? 100%. And so, and he wanted to learn, like he was always sharing books and knowledge awesome. and insight. And I learned, I still have so many books for, from him for that. And he was just such a, a, a real guy, you know? Oh, I appreciate it again, sharing that. So let's segue into, um, dash radio. Yeah. Founded in 2014. It's crazy. It is crazy. Um, like, can you just break down like what's your guys' vision here and, and the platform yeah. and everything? Because I, I was lucky enough you gave me an opportunity to be involved early, and I always yeah, will always man. appreciate it. But Thank what you've you, guys man. done here in in seven years, six seven years is is wild. I appreciate it, man. I mean, if you look at radio, it's really the foundation of everything that I do. And if you look at kind of my skill set, it's always been identifying trends or talent early on. Whether mm-hmm. that's even things like the way I got my job was being on the internet and ahead of it with new technology. I got known for breaking all these artists and being mm-hmm. first to introduce the world to, to you know, yeah, you post Kendrick, Post, et cetera, right? Gaga. So um, when it came, there was an opportunity. I was, you know, I built an incredible career at radio starting from a small community station in Minneapolis, as I mentioned, doing a, you know, 4 a.m. shift on Saturday nights to working my way up, being on Sirius XM where I was for 10 years, um, being at iHeart and on Kiss FM out here for six or seven years mm-hmm. um, and you know, in essence the biggest radio station in the country and having this incredible platform and helping us launch that iHeart brand. We were clear channel before that and, and moved to, to iHeart. But being there, I just realized I was like this like AM FM radio, I did not see a tremendous future for it. I thought it was inevitable that it would be replaced by something digital. When I looked at the business model of it, I was like, all right, AM FM had this moat because to buy a signal, if you wanted a station and cost you hundreds of millions of dollars in markets like LA, 
and all that's going away with the internet. It's all yeah. going to be an app. In your phone, your car is going to be an app. So I was like, all right, we have the opportunity to build something to, in essence, not replace radio, but be the evolution of what that what where that place that took in the market. And what radio has been great at is still is all still today is the number one source for artists to be discovered. If you want to have a huge hit record, you need to be on radio. radio. And it's a it's a place for like lean back listening. You hop in your car, you don't want to think about it. You just hit play and go. So we wanted to build a product where at the time everybody in the digital era was focused on streaming, Spotify, Apple, and we didn't want to compete or touch that. That's the evolution of the music transaction. Mm-hmm. It used to be over time you'd buy a tape, vinyl, CD, MP3. Now you pay 10 bucks a month and you can get whatever you want. And radio hasn't really evolved like that. And we thought that there was just a tremendous opportunity to build a brand with radio being the first product, but really becoming almost like the MTV for that next generation. And that's where the idea for Dash was born. And, and over that time, um, we've evolved into, you know, in essence, where we are now, which is, you know, radio being one of our core products, but we're really focused on, you know, the next generation, how we power music across Web 3.0, across the metaverse, across gaming, and all these next generation platforms. We, you know, unfortunately, timing wise, it just opened this flagship facility that we're in right now, this 25,000 square foot face space on Hollywood and Vine. And that opened in February of 2020. Of course, the pandemic hit in March. So the timing was less fortunate, but it forced us to really double down in kind of the gaming sector. And we found that, you know, we have a lot of stuff with Twitch and whatnot. Yeah, we have the ability, like there's a lot of great things that we've been working on behind the scenes. And it also accelerated the adoption of a lot of digital products and digital trends. Um, And we think that those things were on track to happen anyways, but COVID really accelerated that. So it really, really prioritized us to focus on you know, kind of finding this unique sweet spot for us. And I think that we're just in this, such this incredible position to continue to grow and what we built and kind of have the radio product now, which is, has, you know, become the biggest all original digital radio platform. We have 80 stations, 400 DJs. Uh, you know, we've broken on Dash, first place, you know, Cardi B, you know, Post Malone, Billie Eilish, like, We've had a roster of people there and that was like, you know, us doing it in a small space. Now we have this space and as we expand into, you know, I think we we are and you're starting to see it like with what creators are doing with NFTs. You're starting to see it with games like what Fortnite's doing in essence of it's very early glimpses of the metaverse. You're going to see, you know, Apple is basically betting the whole company now on AR. So there's going to be an entirely new way that music and content is consumed and that creators can can make products. Um, in this next generation of technology that I think is the biggest opportunity that I'll ever see in my lifetime for for music and entertainment. And we're right at the forefront of that. And we happen to have the great product, the rights, the facilities, the, all these different things in, in place. So we're, we're super excited and have a lot of crazy things in our kind of laboratory behind the scenes coming soon. Yeah, no, Dash has been, uh, you know, the, like I said, the growth. You first invited me here. It was after Kobe's yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, and I saw it and it was just finishing up and obviously the pandemic, but the space is so beautiful it's and you really got so cool. many cool stuff uh, going on in here and like, yeah, like it's, you, it's you guys really are fun. ripping and roaring. Like how many like, monthly yeah. users do you think you guys rip? Sure, we're, over, we're like 15 million people reaching monthly right now crazy, and, and yeah. it's growing, but we're really excited about like some of these games and developments. We'll have, we have a big project launching in June um, that you guys will see. I mean, for us, if you look at the way that next generation consumes content, it's all in gaming. I mean, I'm a big believer in the metaverse and kind of what's coming. You see the early iterations with Fortnite, with Decentraland, with so some of these platforms. Uh, sorry to cut you yeah, off. Go what do you it. mean metaverse? Are you talking about like the... Uh, Ready about, Player One. Well, is it like <laughs> uh, Travis Scott, the, 
the the concert he did and like is that the metaverse like that's that's an early look into it so the metaverse oh, okay. is basically like a, a digital recreation of the real world and and like long term like i could sit here all day and think speak like futuristic thinking so i'm <laughs> thinking that like the analog and digital worlds, especially with ar are going to merge but you're going to be able to take advantage of digital technology to do things that you can't in in the real world and i think that you know the way if you look at the way kids consume content they're not watching TV, they're not listening no, to radio, they're not even listening point, to their, their phones, right? Like they're on Roblox, they're in Fortnite, they're they're playing games designed in Unreal Engine, they're, you know, experiencing things and interacting with their peers in, in a different environment. If you look at like people playing Call of Duty all night, half the time is spent in the lobby and just interacting with friends. It's not even sure. about the, like the game it's is almost secondarily. Think. Yeah, And you're gonna see, and, and Epic's made no, like they just raised, you know, <laughs> more billions of dollars um, that came out in the news to, to in essence build this open metaverse and, and I think that the trends are very much pointing towards there being these digital worlds. I mean, you think like Ready Player One, you think like Second Life. There's been a lot of early iterations, but it's coming and it's coming fast. And, you, you know, I was talking with somebody from Niantic, which makes Pokemon Go and Harry Potter games um, mm -hmm. earlier today. And it's like, that's a perfect example of utilizing technology to take the real world, but enhance it. And yeah. I think that what you saw in the pandemic was a lot of people just try to like videotape me doing a stream. And we started off doing that, but we quickly learned like, wow, the real opportunity is to, Let's take advantage of technology and do things that you can't do in, a, in an analog world that we can do digitally. So you'll see us doing a lot of really cool things based on kind of our radio product and the fact that we're just creating so much content. It plays so well into kind of creating a persistent music environment in that world. Yeah. That was Sorry, great. No, that was great. No, no, I'm not. That was that was fantastic. And like I said, you gave me an opportunity to be with Dash. I've always appreciated oh, man, I that. I appreciate but, you. You've um, always shown love, Adam. You know, so it's like, Anytime I come here, it's always like we're ripping and roaring. I'm always just like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> keep going, ski, get them going. We're pushing, man. I mean, look, we're trying to pay. We're not trying to do anything that's that's expected. We really want to to be forward thinking. And there's just such a massive opportunity right now. And mm -hmm. you see, like, on another note, like what NFTs are doing for creators and, and, and decentralizing a lot of the power for that. And I think that we're still, I mean, still so early on and a lot of the stuff is is nonsense, but that's what happens when markets kind of come out there. And I, I think that long-term the implications, especially for fields like music, which have been traditionally under monetized for the artists and talent in that, um, the, the implications are tremendous. All right, so we got to segue a little bit from Dash. You're a big sneakerhead guy, right? Obviously, too many shoes. <laughs> what do you think? Like, how many shoes? How much is it worth? What? How'd you get into it? Because you were on uh, Sneakerheads documentary yeah. in Netflix. Did you? You were on it. Did you produce that? Were yeah, you? I narrated it and was the one of the executive producers of it. So, so you're obviously uh, the original <laughs> sneakerhead. I knew. I watched some old. You know, yeah, Eclipse, and I was like, I didn't realize it was that deep. Like, how many shoes? Man. Couple, couple thousand. And it's funny, you know, now it's funny because more kids, because now, especially because the mixtape era, like you're talking like 2000s. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of that stuff is gone. So now these kids know me for sneakers. So like I'm more <laughs> famous in a sneaker store than I'm a music store, which is a crazy flip, right? Um, so it's been something that I've been collecting. Again, I've, I've been lucky and fortunate enough. My mom says like, hey, I just find a way to how to, you know, what I like to do and figure yeah. out how to make a business out of it, which is kind of true. Um, and I just fell in love with shoes. It was the Jordan 10 was the first pair that I had. Mm -hmm. The 11, it was hunting for that as a kid, not being able to find that. That really got me hooked. And ever since then, you know, it's something. And even in high school, when I wasn't selling PS2s and Xboxes, I was selling, 
you know, Jordans and Air Forces. And in Minneapolis, one of the stores out there had one of the original Nike accounts. So they'd get the craziest, like, Air Force Ones at the time and Jordan. So I'd go sell those for double the money or sell them to rappers. And uh, that's how I built my collection. That's how I was able to afford buying mine. And I still have a lot of those original ones. And from that, uh, you know, it expanded. And we've been lucky to watch that scene from the from the front row, including getting involved in platforms like StockX, producing documentaries, like mm-hmm. you said, hosting a ton of shows. So it's it's been, it's been a wild ride. Do you... Do they like give you free sneakers now? Like, cause you're that guy, you know what I'm saying? Like I've always, you know, cause like when you get to a certain stature, like people want you to plug it and you're good at it. Yeah. So like, do, does Nike just say, is it only Nike or do you do you um, mix or mostly, nah, mostly, I'm mostly Nike? I'm mostly Nike and Jordan. I'll have some Adidas and stuff and I'll like carry where, over where? to a couple other brands. Yeah, it depends on what it is. There's certain mm-hmm. certain shoes, but definitely like Nike and, and Jordan. If you look, I mean, that's what I grew up on and that's what, what I love. And you, know, you kind of look at people, they're either like Adidas or, or Nike people. And um, there's been a lot of overlap of the years with what Adidas did with, you know, even Ultra Boost and Yeezy. I had a ton of Ultra yeah. Boost and NMDs and, and Yeezys over the years, but my, but my still love is like, like I'm wearing Nikes right now. So, um, that's my passion. I do. And I have, you know, over the years made some good connections and they hook mm-hmm. things up, but I'm, I hate being that guy. Like everybody hits all the marketing people there and like, Oh, hook me up and do these things. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, you, uh, you're, and, and I said I'd that rather, you're not, you're not no, a no, no, guy. No, but yeah. I'm like, and a lot of times like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. And I'm like, I'd rather call in my favors for something bigger. Like if I really need that's something, point. yeah, you don't want to waste it. I probably that's should. Very true. So I have been fortunate enough. I mean, I was lucky to get like one of the best pairs that I ever got was like the red October Yeezys cause I couldn't get. So like, they hook me up with that. Like if it's moments that I really need it, I can like hit people and, and get things. But I try to like be low key, especially if it's something that I can get or that's not too, too crazy, then I'll, I'll just buy it. It's, so, not, it's not worth it. You know, cause sometimes you always owe somebody then too. Yeah. So no, cause you gotta, people. yeah, yeah. You gotta go on the backside, like, and, and calling in the favor is such a good point too, because mm-hmm. you know, I have a decent Rolodex. It's not like yours, but like there's certain things where like, oh, I don't, don't want to wait. Yeah. I don't want to waste it. And you know, the favor. you know, something interesting, somebody that told me that uh, Michael Jordan said is that he won't take favors and it wasn't he'll pay, he'd rather pay for everything from somebody because then he feels then he has, like he has to get then he's the like side. oh cool oh I hooked you up at my say my golf course right yeah. then like oh well you sign this for my kid and he's like he's dude like, I can I have an exclusive deal with upper deck yeah. I don't want to like and it puts you in an awkward position yeah. to like say no and so yeah it's it's sometimes it's better to just that nothing is ever free so <laughs> good point <laughs> so like dumb question like how with your regarding your shoes like how many pairs do you actually like put on that sounds funny yeah no it's it's a challenge and look most of them are still probably do you display them all or just leave them in boxes probably a third of them are worn or used maybe even a little less yeah and that's the challenge right like it's almost too many right now like i need to cut down and i'm seriously looking at it because becomes overwhelming and what i've learned as you get older like you don't want to have a million of, of everything like i'd rather have like 10 pairs like in my dream world and i just say this i'm just talking there's no way i could cut down but i'm like i'd rather have 10 or 50 pairs of just the, the ones the, that the I do most that. exclusive blah 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 yeah the ones that i really like and wear and everything right i'm like you don't need like what do i need eight tvs for in a house and a hundred rooms and stuff like it becomes a burden like when you have this if you have like we are talking about 50 earlier, he had this mansion that was Mike Tyson's place. And I remember, I remember his, that. his complaint, right? Like, it's like, it's too much. Yeah. Do you want a hundred or 50? Yeah. Like that's, you have to clean that. Yeah. You have to put like, it's not easy. The maintenance on it. It's like, yeah. as you know, and it, it tie, like things tie you down. So I'm actually like, all right, what can I do? Like I need to cut back on it, but I want to, I don't want to just like get rid of them. And I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like, you just storage unit them or something. All right. But then they like sit there and they wear down. So I want to get them on to like, I want to find a way to get them to like kids that 
people that are passionate about it, but I want to do it in a creative way. So, so I need to about, clean up my rooms. <laughs> talking about slanging them, like talk about talk to me about StockX. Do you, you involved with that? Yeah, I was lucky. Um, again, and this is kind of why I've always been a believer of just doing what you love and putting yourself in these mm-hmm. communities. And by doing that, I remember getting the call um, from my guy Josh, who was one of the founders of StockX, and you know, somebody connected us and was like, Hey, they're building a new platform with Dan Gilbert. Um, and you know, I got connected with them and it was one of the first checks before it even had a a name. I think StockX was the tentative name and it was, they were going to change the name and they ended up not doing it. (laughs) Um, but that's like how early it was way before it even launched. And we had no idea what it was going to do. And, you know, now they're on track. If you just read the news, it's, you know, it looks like, and not sharing any inside information, but it looks like they're going to IPO this year. And, uh, you know, they just raised a bunch more money, like a multi-billion dollar valuation. What they've done is, incredible and kind of reinvent the buying experience for consumers and i think it's bigger than just than just sneakers now which is crazy to see yeah no like i've i've checked it out a little bit and like you can see your sneaker value on like 52 weeks yeah. like it's crazy but it's it, it makes the sense because it, yeah it's it, well it's such a big industry and you know there's obviously a need for it so i mean it, it's just it's crazy how much stuff you're involved in. This is basically what I'm saying. I I'm love fortunate. it. I'm fortunate. I love it, to man. Be in the right, but it's just the right like, scenarios. It's just <laughs> like okay, talk about other stuff you're getting involved in. Yeah, trading cards. Like you guys just had me open up a box. Yeah, shout to you. You're here, so downstairs we got cards and coffee. It, it's awesome. Yeah. I I was you know uh, born 1984, so I'm a kid of the 90s. So like Jordan yeah. cards, like all that stuff is like part of my you know history as a kid or basketball junkie. So, like, what do you think is the rise in that industry? Because it's taken off. Like, it's gone crazy. So, it's a combination of things. So, one, I've always, like, if you look back, my first business actually was sports cards. When I was eight, I was selling basketball and baseball cards. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, out of my garage and, like, not making any real money. But that was, you know, running around to card shops and figuring it out. So, it was really my first entrepreneurial endeavor. And like many others, like the junk wax era kind of collapsed the marketplace of the 90s. What what do you mean by junk wax? So, they basically, you know, there was all these. The bubble gum packs? Yeah, there were so many, there were so many cards became so popular and they're, they were overproduced, right? Flutter, yeah, and they were artificially, you know, we were thought to think that our King Griffey Jr. 1989 upper deck Griffey, you know, rookie cards mm-hmm. were limited. And in fact, they weren't. They made you know, a ton of them. So supply and demand ultimately caught up. Um, the card scene was able to reinvent itself and kind of come back by the advent of grading companies. So there's Beckett companies, and all that yeah, stuff. so there's companies like Beckett and PSA P, uh, and they'll in essence take a card, they'll grade the condition of it. And it doesn't just come from like the edges or any scrapes, but it's also based on the way that it's printed. Like, is it centered perfectly? And it's very tough to get like a perfectly centered card, believe it or not. So there's those. And then once that happens, it's serialized and in a database. So what you're able to then see is a population report and see what in essence, like talking about stocks, what the market cap is. So for a 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie card in perfect PSA 10 condition, and this is a card that was printed in 86, there's a lot of them out there. In perfect PSA 10 condition, there's about 320, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's plus or minus, depending on what, you know, the pop report is. Uh, I'm just making a, a guesstimate, but there's only 320 of that. And that's why that card has sold, you know, now they're selling for around four or 500,000. They peaked at about 700,000 earlier this mm-hmm. year. But a year ago, it was 70,000, right? So um, the what's interesting is this, this trend was already coming back. The same way that I saw sneakers kind of happening early on, I saw the same thing happen in the card world. And like many other industries, the pandemic accelerated something that was already inevitably going to happen. And that's because I really believe that when basketball went away and all sports went away, 
People weren't able to gamble, weren't able to bet. They were sitting at home. They were getting yeah, stimulus checks. Yeah. Cards were the only way to interact with it. And for a lot of people like me, like the nostalgia of that always came back. So it brought it brought back those memories. And a lot of those people that grew up in, in the 80s or that were born in the 80s like us um, then had money and could get these things. Yeah, sitting no, at home bored. So it made it like just, you know, it was that accelerant that it needed. So since for me, you know, the other fun business that I do is the ski sports where we, we help do basically power entertainment and create content with a lot of these teams. For me, it's just my excuse to, to be in the field of games. Like honestly, right? Like <laughs> we have, we haven't even talked about that. You're the in game DJ for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's fun. And that's again, a reason for me to, to go back to all the games and to, to, to be on the field. And you know, that, that access is what's so cool too. Like anybody can have money, but you can't do the things that, that mm-hmm. I do. There's a lot of people with a lot more money than me, but they're not able to move like I have and that's how I you know what I'm you know really enjoy and, and like to have fun with but all that stuff went away I still did do the Vikings games this year but there's no fans and for all the other teams like there's no fans in, in the building so mm-hmm. there's no content we can't create with the players because of the uh, the way yeah, that the COVID protocols yeah are. when I call games for Gonzaga I mean we have to yeah. call guys on the phone <laughs> and they'd be standing on the court and we were like at the middle deck yeah I get yeah, it you're so, not yeah. even in the building so yeah. like that took it away so I was like all right I'm gonna, I saw this scene happen, and I also saw remembered what happened with sneakers, and I saw a lot of the places that I won in the sneaker world, and places mm-hmm. that I think I could have done more in to even take take you know a bigger piece of the slot, a slice of the pie that I that I could have deserved based on on the knowledge that I had. So I was like, all right, let's do this for cards, especially since I wasn't on the road, I wasn't doing the sports stuff right now, as all the team activities were pretty much paused. So I looked at the sports card world and I was like, wow, this is about to happen and realized for what I do really well, which is creating content, creating moments, bringing people in and kind of being an advocate. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of great content that was appealing to the mainstream for this. Um, there was a ton of opportunities in multiple sectors from like breaks and the retail side to the media and content side to, uh, you know, so many different layers. So I was like, let's let's go all in. And you know, it's, it was my excuse to, to get into sports. And like, luckily I've been able to, to ride that wave and have so much fun for it. And Know, do things like my favorite project I've probably ever done is what I'm doing right now with Tops, where I'm remixing yeah, project, and recreating these cards. Project, yeah, Project Seventy. Yeah. yeah, Seventy. I always see you post on Instagram. So it looks sick. so. It looks so awesome. So sick. So Tops basically gave me the opportunity to design 20 cards, and so we're taking any iconic baseball cards, and I get to choose the players. And for mm-hmm. all mine, all you know, it wouldn't make sense if I was just like drawing them. Like I was like, I wanted to do a real music theme for them. So the first one was. Babe Ruth themed with Jay-Z. The last one was Satchel Paige, one of the greatest pitchers ever from the Negro Leagues with Nas, Elmatic. So, and you know, like we've got some crazy ones coming out. You can imagine the pairings, but it's all like album and music themed. And for me, it's mixing like sports and collecting and culture and music all in one. It's the the perfect thing. It's just so much fun for me. It just gives you that, you know, that perfect outlet for you to create like you, like you already do, but that's so cool that you exclusive with tops. Yeah. It's probably my favorite project. Like I've, I've done, you know, just because of my love for all those things. And that's how, you know, great work always happens. Like you go into it for the right reasons and whatever happens, happens there. And that's where I'm really been focused on building my own brand. We're doing drops now on djski.com and it's been, been going really well. It's just an excuse for me to continue to, to have fun with cards. So that's so cool. Like the, doing the opening downstairs was nostalgic for me. I haven't opened yeah, a box right? of cards like in so long. I used to get it's a the, rush. the NBA hoops. I'd get <laughs> one box every Christmas and it was like, all right, I'm gonna open one pack, maybe two today. I'm not going to open it all. And then you couldn't last, you know, after, after a day, I was like, screw it. I'm opening them all, but it's incredible. yeah, like it's incredible. And like seeing it come back now and I have buddies that do the, 
you know, they go on the streams or whatever, and then they buy a pack, and then the guy opens it and yeah. mails it to you, like you guys are doing downstairs. Yeah. So, like, it, it's it's pretty dope that it's coming back around because it's like, man, I thought they were, I thought cards were dead. Yeah, I, well, look, a lot you of know people what I'm saying, did, right? like, 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 I thought a, they were a dead. A lot of people did, and I'd seen it. It was happening the past few years. There's been a few people that were like super big advocates of it, like Josh at StockX, people like. Gary Vaynerchuk, like a lot of people had been talking about and and talking about this scene and, and that momentum was happening mm -hmm. regardless of any of these things in COVID and just like it was the perfect combination. So, so to finish up here pretty soon. So from Minneapolis, I got to ask you this and I yeah. read somewhere, I didn't know if it was true. Like, do you have any Prince stories? Because oh I'm a huge yes. Prince, but like. Are you? I didn't know that. Who doesn't love Prince? Prince is the greatest, but not a lot of people. I, he's the great. Generation. He's the most talented artist I think of that generation, oh. hands down, like top to bottom. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's not even close. Most, and people don't even know. Some people don't even know he played the guitar, and you're like, dude, best guitarist alive. He was like, he was like Jimi Hendrix, he was the best guitarist, and nobody like even knows it. Like it's crazy. But like, do you have any? Did you work with? Did you work with Prince yeah, at all? Prince was, you know. Greatest musician I've ever seen. I, I, I agree. Best, the best I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, Prince, you know, I'm lucky I'm from the same place as him, right? Mm -hmm. Both rep Minnesota. And I had I interviewed one of his new artists on on radio. And his team reached out. I was like, oh, it was a great interview. He's doing a secret show tonight at a club called Sayers. Sayers is actually like two blocks from where we are now. It's a small venue. It holds 40, 50 people. Oh, like, so, so, so small. So they're like, hey, Prince is doing something. Can't get any, but no pluses. And by the way, like, I'm so jaded from going to shows. It's like you going to basketball games, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, eh, like, yeah, all right. Yeah, Unless yeah, it's yeah, like, it's like exactly. so many, but I'm like, wow. Like, usually I wouldn't go and I'm like, all right, I need plus 10. Like, I'll be mm -hmm. bougie about it, right? Like, because mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. like, you've really got to make it worth my while yeah. to go. Otherwise, like, I I'm good. Like, um, but when I get there, they're like, just one, just get there. So I'm like, not only that, and usually I show up for like 10 minutes now at this point, see it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let me get, let me go mm -hmm. home. Um, get Prince. I'm like, all right, cool. I get there as soon as the doors open. I'm the first person there because I'm like, I want to sit in front. And by the way, Prince is notorious for not going on for five hours past the showtime. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be here for seven hours. Make until. sure, but yeah. But I'm like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So end up, of course, like sitting, you know, almost as close as we are, like watching an entire show, just like blown away. And I end up then writing because um, I've contributed for a lot of different publications. So I ended up writing an article and sent it to Billboard. They ended up posting it on that show and just kind of my whole experience, how I went in there, how I waited, mm -hmm. talking about all the songs and what he played and how incredible it was. And he ended up reading it, and, you know, connected with his manager at the time. Um, so we dope. sat down Fuck. and she was like, yeah, this is, you know, um, he'd love to do some more stuff. And we started talking and you know, he wanted, he was like, yeah, I want you to write uh, a book on my tour and, and do like a, a book on me for this. And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, let's go on the road and do this. So had the opportunity to do, it was a small run. It was so great because it was like the right size venues, House of Blues size venues. So not too big, that's right? so dope to the see perfect him in that size small, venue to see oh my it. God. Two shows a night and it was all West Coast. So it was super easy to get to like from Vancouver all the way down to Phoenix. Um, and going on that and seeing those shows and two a night. And usually, especially when it's a tour, it's like it's generally the same show overnight. So if you've seen one, you've seen a hundred. Prince, every night was something different. different. One night, that's amazing. he'd come out and just like, I mean, so many stories. He ended up like firing a sound guy, which is a whole crazy story in and of itself, but he ends up doing his own sound. So he's on stage literally like mixing and doing it while he's playing. I've never seen anything like that in my life. But one night he comes out, pop Prince. Next night, R&B Prince. Next night he comes out and you think Jimi Hendrix is on stage yeah. and doing it all on his own. Like 
It was just, I had never... So did you compile a book? Did you write a full book? Yeah, I, yeah I, well, first off, I knew it wasn't going to happen because Prince is notorious on the business side for, like, things just don't happen, right? Like, so he's like... outrageous. He didn't yeah. have a he did, He didn't have a will, right? Wasn't that true? Which yeah, is exactly. crazy. That's I mean, sad, man. I feel bad. He thought he was... <laughs> that's why he had sucks, and that's why, you know, the state's been... It's been a lot of chaos over there. It looks mm -hmm. like they're starting to, to work things out. Let's but go to his kids. That's what it should be, in my opinion, but yeah, that's just me. It's great. No kids, though, so... Oh, I thought he had kids. So well then, who the fuck is exactly. a family? It's, it's crazy. I it's, thought he had kids, man. I would have, I would have guessed a thousand percent he had kids. Yeah, I know kids, and uh, wow. So it's so it's super crazy and drama with that. But like great artists, right? Like, and this is what was Prince. I mean, Prince was wrote slave on his face and did these things. So when it came time to do the book, I had all this stuff, and I knew this was going to happen. By the way, right? Like he was like, oh yeah, just you know, we want an advance, but you know, tell him to give me like a I don't want to twenty million dollar advance for. Books like you're not gonna make like it's a book. And by the way, at the time too, like notice like Prince at the time is still like Prince, mm -hmm. so anybody would do it. But he's not like the you know yeah the, like at the mega peak, mega mega yeah. The me I mean, he's always Prince. So yes. like I don't want to defl and don't want to. I know what you mean. That, but yeah, 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 like, yeah. And by the way, nobody's getting that. Even if you're the biggest ten yeah. biggest artists in the world, like so, I knew it was unrealistic, and that's what those things were. But you know, I, that experience was second to none of the fact that he took me out and, and believed in me. Especially, you know, he found out I was from from Minneapolis. He loved the article that I wrote, and he he took a chance and let me come with him on, on those things. And his whole team and manager was great. And you know, it was just such a fun and and that's why, like again, I knew I was like, this will probably like there's gonna like I knew exactly like I knew the scenario because you read the story. Like I've been through this before. Yeah, but I'm like I can't say no to this. It's pretty you yeah, have I to just want to go like just yeah. the, the ability to go to all those things so I still have all my notes we'll see maybe we'll put something out like how day. many shows did you go to it was a it was a great run so it was like over the course of a few weeks uh no it's only like two weeks it was like two weeks Vancouver Seattle Portland uh, San Francisco LA uh Vegas San Diego Phoenix so like small run but like two shows a night and again so each awesome. show yeah it was like and each show would be so different I, I literally was so excited coming out for each one yeah no he's one of the most talented in my opinion of all time yeah and gone gone far yeah no it, it's a shame too with his like we said his catalog and his yeah. rights like it, it's got to go to his media family in my opinion but yeah. that's all for the lawyers and the suits and yeah. stuff like that but it's just like wild to think it's like you have a will man you know what i'm saying like Gotta get a will, man. Yeah, hundred percent, right? Like everybody out there. Yeah, it's yeah, just, just go to legal just zoom. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. funny like that. Like, just do something simple. And and that's what sucks too. Like when you see different things. Like he was against drinking in this, and then you see people like in the studios, like they're doing events with artists he didn't like, and there's alcohol sponsors. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, he's yeah, it's, it's yeah, great. that's yeah, right now, dude, that's true. Like, All right, well, to to wrap it up, I gotta tell <laughs> this the story how I first met you, and it was kind of. Crazy. So, like I said earlier, you gave me an opportunity. Uh, Roni Turioff called me one day. It was like, Shout hey. Shout out to Roni. And Roni Turioff, uh, all the Gonzaga fans, Gonzaga legend, I'm going to have him on the show. Connected with you when he was with the Lakers or was it when he was with Miami? He, was on, he was on the Clippers. Oh, okay. I forgot he played for the Clippers. He, was on the, he played for so many teams. He so he was on the Clippers, and they hit me up because it was his birthday, and they needed a DJ for his birthday party. Oh, so that's amazing. He had the Louis Vuitton cake that night. <laughs> he would have something like that. So he calls me. He's like, hey, you know, I got a friend that's a smart guy that's got an opportunity. Okay, and I'm yeah, great, man. I'll do it. Because if Roni says you're A+, plus, yeah. and Roni's like my guy. Yeah. So I said, okay. So anyway, fast forward, what, a year, two years, something like that. 
it was Kobe's last game, the 60-point game. So I get lucky enough to get invited down by the Lakers. Yeah. Like, hey, come down. Kobe wants the guys that he likes and blah, blah, blah. The fa- <laughs> there you wasn't know. many of that. So that says the, a lot for you to be in that category. People underestimate, like, yeah, he no, loved it, you guys, both of you guys, right? He like, loved He loved. always loved the Gonzaga guys. He loved us, and it was great. Because you guys were the diamonds in the rough that we, worked hard, right? We, like yeah, nothing we, earned. Yeah. Or we were, nothing given, all we, earned. We, yeah, and we would always, you know, like practice, I would talk shit to him and blah, 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 and vice versa. <laughs> like, he liked yeah. that shit, you know? And like you said, if you... If you showed up to play, like, he liked you. So, anyway, we go to the games, like, let's go have dinner with Scott. You can finally meet Scott. It's yeah. like, all right. And I, I knew a little bit about you, yeah. but not a bunch because I wasn't, like, a sneaker guy and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? So, I go, and you're fucking cool as shit, yeah, whatever. Sure. <laughs> so, Roni and I obviously get to go underneath the tunnel to the game. And so you're walking with us, and remember, it was fucking bananas walking. We're at that restaurant. Remember how crazy Show. it was? And Roni's, like, the mayor of. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. like, and he's because he's so recognizable, so right? recognizable, and like you're low key, you got the long hair, yeah, and I had the <laughs> sunglasses, and I like, was going quick, and so everybody's just running, running, running. So we get underneath, and I'll never forget, we're walking through the tunnel, and Geezy passes us, and then goes, "Hey, yo, Scott." <laughs> so I'm like, "Okay," so like, "Shit," you know, and I'm like, trying not to be a fanboy, but I'm like, yeah. "Fuck, that's Geezy." Okay, we go about ten more minutes later, we're walking down in the tunnel before the game. Snoop Dogg past you. What up, Scott? And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what Who I mean? You had no swear to God. Kendrick Lamar, it was later. Later yeah. after the game, we're walking. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar. What up, Ski? And I'm like, all right, what the fuck is going on here? And I the reason I bring this up, like, you're the most humble guy I've been around. Like, I've been around a lot of people in the industry, like, as far as on the periphery, but, like, being in L.A. and being around pro sports, obviously. Yeah. Like been around the greatest time. I mean, like, well, and you, you you see some some not so humble people, and yeah. so again, man, I just had to tell that story because it was it was so it, man. crazy, man. And like everybody was like stopping you, and you're just <laughs> like, oh, what's up, man? Like, good to see you too. You know, obviously the the humble self that you are, but um, it was yeah, just so it, it was yeah, it was an interesting way to uh, kind of first meet somebody. That's right. I remember. Yeah, we had dinner before that we night. Dinner, we had a yeah. great thing. Yeah, and then walked. And over then we got to go see Kobe's sixty point game. And I remember it, it started so slow. I sent with us in around with uh, Roni, and we were like, Ooh, "This might yeah. be bad." Like then it started get, off bad. Then we went back to the to the family room right before mm-hmm. the game ended because you guys were going to walk out on court. So we watched it with the whole fam and everybody in that little room. And just watching when he was going for those last ones, they're like, "No, this it was guy it was such a it. storybook way." And obviously, you know, we I want to bring up the, the the sad part. Everybody knows it, so it, it was just awesome Legend. to be around you, man. And I, I appreciate you man, you taking the time, man. Like, you're a man of many hats. Ah, oh, man, it's this has it's been awesome, great. Man. It's fun talking. We got to do this more, man. Thank you so much for coming down. I didn't, you know, next hey, time I got to come up to uh, Spokane, Coeur d'Alene. I'm telling you, come out yeah. to the resort. I said Lake Cabin, Mike Lake Place, come out, man. I'll Let's go. On Let's the go. Boat. I'm in. For real. You could, do, you could do one of your events, live events from my Ooh, I'm dock. I'm excited. You know I'm excited. what I'm saying? It feels good. I did my first live show since the pandemic the, uh, this weekend with people in it. Like, I've done a lot of virtual Oh, ones, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Feel good. I'm excited. Let's do some stuff. Again, man. Appreciate it. It's always you're good to man. see you, man. I appreciate it. Of course, you're welcome here anytime. Thank DJ you so much Ski. for the love and support, man, and being the guy that you are and putting on for us. So go Zags. It. I'm basically yes. like a Zags fan now, but not only with you and like Roni, but with all my Minnesota kids. Yeah, guys you got Jalen, so. Jalen Suggs, and then Chet, and know, so right? yeah, go Zags, man. We got to do some entertainment there now next year. So let's make oh, that happen. Shit, tell me who to call, and I'll get you in. 
Let's go. Your, your record you speaks for itself. I'm not saying, but like, I'll, I'll be the the gatekeeper. I'll let you. Let's you go. Know no, I, mean? I need you, man. Come on, let's go. All right, man. I appreciate it. My brother, great seeing you. Yep. Thank you. The Perimeter with Adam Morrison is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Mercedes of Spokane.